Amen. Amen. Good to be in the presence of the Lord today to worship Him and to be reminded of His great love for us. Well, today we continue our summer series, Songs of the Summer, and we're looking at uh, another one of the all-time favorites today, Amazing Grace. Pastor Ryan kicked us off with this summer series by looking at one of his favorites, Better Is One Day, the song, based on the Psalm 84. And today we conclude kind of the opening section of the top three favorites, the votes that came in from you, from the voting, the survey that was taken in the month of May into early June, your favorites, and kind of the surface, the greatest hits of all time, the Christian faith. Uh, We talked about how great thou art a couple weeks ago uh, with the theme, the greatness of God. Have you been acknowledging the greatness of God this summer? And then uh, last Sunday, we talked about the the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Have you been affirming the faithfulness of God in your life? Reminding yourself that that His mercies are new and fresh every morning. His mercies aren't left over from the day before. They're new and fresh every morning, including this morning for you and for me. Have you been affirming the faithfulness of God? And then today, Amazing Grace with the theme, The Grace of God. So the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God, today amazing grace, the grace of God. Amazing grace is probably, arguably, the most famous and well-known song across the spectrum of hymns. Both in, in, in sacred, secular settings, it's been estimated that the amazing grace in those settings, whether sacred or secular, is performed or sung 10 million times a year throughout the hundreds of thousands of churches and also in secular settings 10 million times a year. And the song Amazing Grace is included in 1,200 hymnals. So it's a pretty famous, pretty popular song that almost goes without saying. And some of you know the history behind the song or maybe some of the history behind the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by a man named John Newton. And John Newton was born in England in 1725. John Newton uh, had a mom who uh, raised him in the Christian faith, taught him uh, the Bible at an early age. But John Newton uh, really took on his father's image because his mom died of tuberculosis when John Newton was seven years old. At 11 years of age, John Newton took the first of six sea voyages with his father, who was a merchant Navy captain. And in the first of those six voyages, uh, John Newton learned a little bit about uh, ships, and it caught his interest. Uh, Newton, as a teenager, had a pattern of unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. That's how he was described as a teenager. Have you ever described your teenager like that? Have you ever been described like that? Unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. That's kind of a nice way of saying wild child. So that was John Newton as a teenager. Newton rebelled against the Royal Navy of England and deserted. He was caught put in irons, and was flogged. 
Newton eventually convinced his superiors to uh, discharge him to a slave ship. He remained arrogant, insubordinate, and lived a life of abandon, moral abandon. He later described it like this. I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. So he wrote, Newton became captain of a Liverpool slave ship at the age of 22. And on one journey, his ship was overtaken by an enormous storm, creating great fear among him and all those who were aboard. He had been reading on that journey a book called The Imitation of Christ. And uh, it struck him, a certain line struck him, The Imitation of Christ, some of you are maybe familiar with it, was written by Thomas Akempis, a uh, German Catholic monk. And as he was on that boat reading the book and the storm then was ensuing, he remembered this one line of the book about the uncertain continuance of life. He felt it. And he turned his life over to Jesus Christ on that slave ship in the middle of that storm. Though he later admitted, quote, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word. John Newton continued to serve as a captain of slave ships. He eventually left that position and moved to his Liverpool home. And while in Liverpool, he was strongly influenced by John and Charles Wesley, founders of the Methodist Church, and by the great preacher George Whitfield. He became disgusted with the slave trade. He became convicted about his role in it. And so he quit. He became ordained as an Anglican priest a priest in the Church of England. He took a parish, and he started writing hymns, one of which is now the now famous Amazing Grace. John Newton joined forces with abolitionist William Wilberforce to help bring an end to the slave trade. A business at which my heart now shudders he wrote. John Newton wrote and published a book, Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, to help the campaign to end the slave trade. Recollection of that chapter in his life when he was the captain of slave ships haunted him for the rest of his life. He had a hard time uh, dismissing that. He, he, he recalled that, and it drove him, even at an old age, when someone suggested that a now feeble John Newton retire, this is what his answer was. I cannot stop. What shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can speak? 
so that's some of the history, some of the background, some of the life story of John Newton. And I share it with you today because, one, I find it very interesting and very fascinating. Two, I share it with you today because it's a powerful testimony of the saving and transforming grace of God. And three, it helps us understand and have a deeper appreciation for the song uh, of the day, Amazing Grace. Particularly the first three verses of the song, Amazing Grace. Verse one. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And John Newton certainly experienced the sweetness of God's amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, he wrote, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And certainly John Newton, in reflecting upon his life, felt his own wretchedness. Certainly reflecting on his life, he felt his lostness and his blindedness, probably referring to his spiritual lostness and blindness, but also perhaps his uh, lostness and blindedness toward the horrors of the slave trade early on in his life. It's very interesting that we have here a, a powerful antithesis of the concepts uh, wretched versus grace, uh, lost versus found, and blind versus see. Those, those concepts, and, and the antithesis of those concepts, all three of those kind of say the same thing in different ways, but he says the same thing in three different ways for emphasis. Now, some may wonder if the word wretch, <laughs> wretch uh, is hyperbole and a bit dramatic of John Newton. But John Newton clearly did not think so. John Newton recognized his own depravity. He recognized his sin, his moral and spiritual bankruptcy, his wretchedness, his lostness, his blindedness. He recognized that, and so in recognizing it, it opened himself up to Grace, in recognizing his condition, it opened himself up to God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. Now, for us today, we, maybe we can't relate to the degree of John Newton's wretchedness. Maybe we can't relate to the degree of John Newton's sin, moral and spiritual bankruptcy, his blindedness, his lostness. And so, in some hymnals, it has actually changed the word. It's taken the word wretch out and put in other words. Like in one hymnal, it says that saveth men like me. Another hymn says it like this, that saved a soul like me. In another hymnal, it says that saved and strengthened me because of the being tripped up by the word wretched. So maybe we can't identify with that level, that degree of wretchedness and blindness and lostness and bankruptcy morally and spiritually. But friends, 
apart from a relationship with Jesus, we are just as lost, just as spiritually separated from God, just as spiritually blinded and just as in need of God's amazing grace as John Newton. Have you received, have you experienced personally God's saving and amazing grace? The Apostle Paul crystallizes for us and kind of succinctly states the power and the significance and the definition of grace. In, in Ephesians, in the first century, Paul was writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he gives his great instruction, great inspiration, and the church has been taking inspiration and instruction from this book and, uh, of Ephesians and other books of the Bible for 2,000 years. He says it like this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This is not of yourselves, not of your works, not of good works, that you can't boast about it. Grace, salvation is a gift appropriated by faith to give glory to God and for you to experience that saving grace. That, that's grace succinctly stated. Uh, verse 2. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And, and John Newton feared on that slave ship in the midst of that storm. And he feared, twas grace that taught my heart to fear God, <laughs> the wrath of God, the, the, the holiness of God, the power of God. Grace taught my heart to fear, but grace my fears relieved. You see, both and. Grace, my fears relieved because of God's amazing grace, the reckless love we were singing about, God's unconditional love, our, our fears are relieved. We're comforted. Grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Thinking about that hour on the slave ship in the middle of that storm that he encountered when he was overwhelmed and he was struck by that line in Thomas Akempis' book about the uncertain continuance of life. And he turned his life over to Christ. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Maybe not to the same degree as John Newton, but what storms are you facing today? What storms? What fears are you facing today in your life? Maybe it relates to your physical health. Maybe it relates to your family. Maybe it relates to your future. Maybe your finances. But what fears, what storms are you facing? Maybe it relates to our world, our church, our denominational crisis. What fears are you facing today? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but grace, my fear is relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. 
may grace appear in your life today, in this hour, as you believe for the first time or again and experience God's amazing grace. Verse 3, through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So John Newton, again, God's grace, experiencing God's grace present in his life through many dangers, toils, and snares. God's grace is present in our lives in seen and unseen ways through many dangers, toils, and snares, trials, and tribulations, and, and troubles. And, and God's grace has brought us safe thus far, and God's grace will lead us home. God's grace will be working in our lives in seen and unseen ways until the day we die, until the day we meet Jesus, and then the day we die and meet Jesus, we will understand and we will fully know the true and full measure of God's grace. Because it's only by God's grace not, as I said before, not by our good works, our efforts, our morality, but it's only by God's grace that we can uh, stand before Jesus and be welcomed home. Have you received God's amazing grace? Do so today. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And you too. In the first three verses, the word grace appears six times. So we have this, what I mentioned earlier about uh, the testimony of amazing grace, the theme of amazing grace in the first three verses in a very strong way. The word grace appears six times in those three verses saying it's all about grace. It's all about God's amazing grace. Let's go to verse four. Are you ready for verse four, five, and six? Verse four, the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. God, what, what does that verse say? God is good. God's word uh, gives us hope, secures our hope. And God will uh, be with us and be our shield and portion until the day we die. As long as we live as long as life endures, bank on it. Amazing grace. The final two verses oftentimes do not appear in uh, the rendition of, of those different hymnals. It, it stops with first, first four verses. Uh, our United Methodist hymnal includes all six verses in, in the hymn, but it, it's also conjectured that, that John Newton only wrote the first four, that he actually did not write, that they were added later, verse five and six. And verse six is not always the same verse six. 
if you're really paying attention, looking at different Amazing Grace songs, verse 6 is different depending on the hymnal or depending on the songbook that you sing it out of. Verse 6 can be different. Here's verse 5. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, when this flesh and this heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. That's a life that we can look forward to with expectancy by the grace of God. Verse 6, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. <laughs> How about that? 10,000 years is just the start of singing God's praise. 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, singing God's praise. Kind of puts in perspective our life here on earth. Several years ago, uh, Bill Moyer, some of you are familiar with that name, PBS uh, documentary guy. Several years ago, Bill Moyer did a documentary film on the song Amazing Grace. And one scene in that documentary film was of a, of a scene in Wembley Stadium in London, England. Perhaps some of you have been to Wembley Stadium in London, England. One of the scenes in his documentary was of a scene there when various musical groups, mostly rock bands, were gathered at Wembley Stadium for a big celebration. They were celebrating on that occasion the end to apartheid in South Africa. So all these musical groups had been invited and were gathered, mostly were like rock bands and, uh, and, and, and such, Guns N' Roses, etc., uh, and they, the promoters of the event invited a black opera singer, Jesse Norman, as the closing act. So Guns N' Roses, all their rock musical groups are going late afternoon and into the evening. The crowd, as they blast away, is loud and rambunctious and unruly. It gets later in the night, and many in the crowd are now drunk and, or high, and it's, and it's a wild, wild scene. The crowd is calling for encores and curtain calls from the rock bands. And, of course, the rock bands oblige. They come back on, on the stage. And then comes the time for the closing act. Then comes the time for the black opera singer, Jesse Norman, to take the stage. Norman comes out wearing a flowing African gown. She has no uh, backup band, no musical instruments, just Jesse. The crowd starts to get a little restless. Most in the crowd do not recognize this black opera singer. Uh, they, start, they start yelling for more Guns N' Roses, they start yelling for more encores from the other bands. And they become very unruly. The scene starts to get ugly, and suddenly, Jesse Norman, all alone on stage, starts singing very slowly, a cappella, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet 
the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. As she sings, suddenly something very remarkable happens in Wembley Stadium that night. Tens of thousands of fans begin to settle down and grow silent as she sings this song of grace. She goes to the second verse. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And by the end of the second verse, she has the crowd in her hands. And she sings a third verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. By the end of the third verse, she continues, and thousands of fans begin to sing along, digging back into their memory <laughs> words that they heard years ago. And pretty soon, it's almost the whole stadium singing a cappella. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Jesse Norman said later, she had no idea what power descended on Wembley Stadium that night. No idea. I think I know. The world longs for grace. The world thirsts for grace. And when God's amazing grace descends, the world goes silent. When God's amazing grace descends on unruly, rebellious, rough slave trader, turns his life over to Jesus Christ. And when God's grace descends upon your life and mine, we are saved. Our lives are recentered on Jesus, and we are given a new life today and a bright hope for tomorrow. And so I pray for you today. I pray that God's grace will descend on you. And I pray that God's grace, as that God's grace descends upon you, that you would open your heart and life and put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time or again. God's grace is so amazing. Receive God's amazing grace today. Let's pray.
Lord, we are humbled by your amazing grace. We are humbled, God, that you would send your son Jesus into the world so we could be forgiven, so that we could experience you and experience your saving, amazing grace in a personal way. We thank you that your grace is offered for the world. And we're so thankful that we know that we long for and we thirst for grace. And help us, Lord, to, to drink deeply of your grace and mercy and forgiveness today. Thank you for your amazing grace that was poured out on Calvary through your son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross to die for us, to give his life for us so we could have life and the sweet sound of grace ringing in our souls and so that we could know that through dangers, toils, and snares that we've come through and anything that's, that's ahead, you're going to get us through. That's who you are. And your word secures our hope. In your son Jesus, we confess today as our Savior, Rock and Lord. Now, Lord, pour out your grace. May your grace descend upon each of us here in the sanctuary and every person listening online. In Jesus' name, amen.